Welcome to the first episode of The Research Field, the monthly podcast from Chagask for everyone interested in agriculture, crops, the environment, food, horticulture, forestry and rural development research in Ireland. Presented by me, Sean Duke, science journalist, with contributions from Katrina Boyle, science and communication outreach officer with Chagask, the podcast will get out and about and talk to researchers in their various fields. We'd invite you all to come along with us each month here on the podcast as we travel around the country meeting researchers and learning about how their work can make an impact both here at home and often abroad. A little later in this, our first episode, you'll hear from Geraldine Duffy, the head of food safety at Chagosk. Geraldine spoke to me about how the One Health concept, which sets up links between animal and human health researchers, is improving the safety of the food we all eat. You'll also be hearing from Luisa Wachewska, a PhD candidate who is working between Chagosk and the Tyndall National Institute in Cork. Louisa told me about her work towards a new, reliable, faster, easy to use biosensor that can detect pathogenic E. coli, as well as her passion for science communication. But first today, let's hear from Michael Gaffney. Michael is a research scientist based in the horticulture department at Chagosk. He was kind enough to show me around the 11 compartment research glass house at Ashtown explain how it operates and the benefits it can bring to industry. Where are we standing at the moment, Michael? So we're currently standing in our new 11 compartment research glass house that we've built here in Ashtown, North Dublin. It's to, it was part of an upgrade of infrastructure when we moved from our old facility at Kinsealy. So it's operational now for about two years. It's a substantial structure. Uh, what, what happens here? There's lots of different things seem to be going on. So it's a, it's a shared use facility. It, it spans in total about a quarter of an acre in, in square footage. Um, and it's basically shared between three par- departments, uh, the horticultural research department, the forestry research department, and the horticultural education department. Right, we might have a whistle-stop tour, if you like, and have a yep. look at some of the things here. I'm looking at some flowers here, so for example, maybe we'll start here. Okay, so this first compartment is a 50-metre-squared compartment, um, and what, what we use this for is the demonstration or knowledge transfer um, projects. So here, our knowledge transfer staff will install certain projects, observational projects that are of interest to, to the industry. So here what we're here looking at is nasturtiums and different varieties of nasturtiums. So the knowledge transfer people will grow them up and then they'll score them, they'll, they'll evaluate them up based on certain parameters. They'll invite the industry and allow the industry to, do, to, uh, you know, to assess them themselves. And, um, and that's it, yeah. And then hopefully the industry will make some decisions about next year's planting and saying, I like the look of that. You know, that one is growing in a certain manner that I think is favorable or the growth profile of that may favor a hanging basket. So if I'm producing a couple of thousand hanging baskets, that might be a variety that I want so to So the, the links are strong with industry and do you work with them in terms of what you want to, uh, the questions you want to answer here, etc.? Absolutely. Um, the horticultural research department, well, we're a horticultural development department is actually our name, and that, that's very important. We don't do research for research's sake. Mm. Uh, we're mandated to help the industry. Our, we exist to try and help the industry as best we can. So the work we do has to be responding to their needs. Now, sometimes the industry have needs that are immediate, and sometimes they have needs that we recognize might be slightly longer term. Um, and you know yourself, so, 
we all get caught up in the immediate, you know, what's our immediate problem, what's the next thing I need to solve. Our role is to mix that, is to try and try and answer some of the problems straight away, but also to be looking 10, 15, 20 years into the future and say, well, this is actually a really big potential problem, or this is a really big potential opportunity that's coming down the line, and we need to get in place some research to help facilitate the industry take advantage of those opportunities. And how unique is this facility? I mean, is there, is there another one like it, or many like it in Ireland? There wouldn't be. Some of the universities would have glass houses as such, but this one has been designed to mimic commercial type or production type um, characteristics. So these are basically mini compartments, but they s simulate what a commercial production facility would look like. So, that so what does it look like? We're, we're standing here looking, so try and describe it. So what you're standing in here is a, basically a large glass box that is subdivided into 11 smaller glass boxes. Um, the roof is quite high, you'll notice straight away it's 5.5 metres up to the gutter. The total height, the apex of the roof is 6.2 metres. So the roof is shaped a little bit like um, a lot of triangles joined together, up and down, up and down, and that's called a Venlo style of glass house, which is the, the kind of common commercial type. Venlo because they were designed and created in a place in Holland called Venlo, so th that's where the name comes from. Um, on the roof you can see is that there's every couple of, uh, of metres you see louvers, and they open and close the windows. So you can see that's, that's called venting. So all the venting, because it's so high up, is driven by a computer. So that's pre-programmed and it has sensors. All of the compartments have sensors. So we have default temperature settings. So when the temperature reaches a certain point, the computer knows to open or close the vents. Now we also have a weather station on, the, on top. So particularly say in periods of high wind or gust, the computer knows that although the temperature might be rising, it knows which side of the glass house to vent on. So as you can see, the vents are located on the leeward and the forward side. So basically, the computer knows I cannot open the, the vent into the wind. It always vents it away from the wind. And that's a, a, to avoid any catastrophe because glass houses are very solid in the way they're constructed, but there are certain forces that they're not designed to take. One of them is wind blowing up the levers and very quickly those vents will, unfortunately if they caught the wind, they would bend quite quickly. It looks a lot different to my granddad's old one. I mean the glass even looks different. It probably doesn't break too easily and stuff like that. It doesn't now because this is a educational and a research facility we have safety glass at up to um, head level, so about two meters up. That's all safety glass and in the roof is safety glass. Normally in a production facility, so that, sorry, so that glass might be 1.2 mil th uh, in thickness. Usually you're t looking at about 0.6 to 0.8 mil in thickness. So it's actually quite, um, although it's very strengthened, very strong glass, it, it is, tends to be a little bit, in, pr in production houses it tends to be a little bit less wide. Uh, the reason for that is just to allow more and more light penetration. So can industry come to you then, approach you and say, listen, I've got an issue that I'd like to look at, can you test this out in the, in the glass house facility or how does that work? Well, that we have many what we call um, advisory boards, depending on the sector of horticulture, and they yes they feed information in to us that they think there are concerns coming that they would like us, or again concerns and opportunities they would like us to look into. That is now being all um, centralised around a group called the Horticultural Industry Forum, um, which is a new grouping that has been set up by growers to get more 
cooperation in the industry and part of the output of that will be kind of an enhanced research communication to us saying you know these are the issues that we have and we need these need to be addressed but also it's, there's no point just telling us that these are the issues part of what the HIF do is they tell all the other stakeholders, governmental stakeholders, supermarket stakeholders, they tell everybody that these are the issues coming up because, and that helps us strengthen our case because we operate in a competitive environment for research funding. So we need, we need it's very important that everyone is aware of the issues, not just us and the growers. We, you know, there's a communication piece here that needs to be said that the entire, all stakeholders need to be aware of the, in, the industry needs. But I suppose the big picture is that obviously an individual farmer, grower cannot build a facility like this. So this is one of the reasons why it's good to have for them because, you know, they can't, they just, it's just so expensive. They can't be doing that research. Well, in a normal production system, they, you, you have very large areas. So it can be hard to do a research trial in a smaller area. But most growers actually strawberry, tomato growers, but they actually run their own trials, whether it being they evaluate their own varieties to see how they like them um, or other technologies that they might test. So actually most of the growers do their own small bit of private research for the, for that, which they've always done since, you know, since people grew crops, they've always grown a little bit in the side of the, in the glass house to see how it gets on. Um, what we do is we look to answer some of the bigger maybe questions that they, they can't handle. So where we can dedicate a full compartment to something that I, as you see here, the, the tomato house where you've got 120 metres enclosed compartment where everything can be modulated and changed to whatever the research trial that we're doing needs, whereas that might not necessarily be easy for the industry. Controlled and all that We can control thing. it, yeah, and we can give an, an independent evaluation. And I, I think that's the opportunity that it gives to the industry. But like, we do things that the industry as a whole will benefit from, not any specific growers. Now, from the glass house at Ashtown to some research news, Congratulations are due to Professor Catherine Stanton, Senior Principal Research Officer at the Moorpark Food Research Centre. Prof Stanton has been elected as one of 27 new members of the Royal Irish Academy for 2019 in the sciences. She's also a Principal Investigator at the APC Microbiome Ireland Research Centre and has been a research leader for many years, so is well deserving of this honour. Her research interests include functional foods, probiotics, infant gut microbiota, bioactive lipids and bioactive peptides. In 2018, Prof Stanton was named on the world list of highly cited researchers, an elite group comprising the top 1% or so of researchers around the world. In other good news, it's nice to see that Chagos researchers are performing well compared to research colleagues in third-level institutions here in Ireland over a five-year period, according to the Web of Science Insights tool. In comparison with Irish universities, Chagos ranked first in the Agricultural, Dairy and Animal Sciences category in terms of the numbers of papers published and number of citations to papers. It also ranked first in the number of published articles in the Food Science and Technology category and second by citations. When compared with research organisations across the EU, this performance by Chagosk ranks very favourably in all categories when the size of the organisation is taken into account. Meanwhile, in an interesting piece of research, Three students of NUI Galway's MA in Gender, Globalisation and Rights have joined forces with Chagas researchers 
to document the changing role of women across Irish agricultural history. The researchers set out to answer the question, how have women been involved in agriculture down the years? And you can find out more about what they found and the changing role of women in Irish agricultural history in the summer edition of Tea Research, available on www.chogusk.ie. Let's hear now from Louisa Wachewska, the PhD researcher I mentioned at the top of the podcast. Louisa, who arrived in Ireland from Poland via the Netherlands, is working on a new biosensor to detect pathogenic E. coli. She's also a talented science communicator, having reached the 2019 final of FameLab in Ireland, a local offshoot of a global science communication competition, which was held in the Science Gallery at Trinity College Dublin earlier this year. I caught up with Louisa at Trinity College and spoke to her there while a leisurely game of cricket played out in the background. Okay, we're sitting here uh, watching something on Trinity College. Do you know what you're looking at? Uh, apparently, I am looking at the cricket game. <laughs> it's not popular in Poland, no? No, not, not at all. But I heard about this because I think it's very popular in India. So I know mostly from the Indian friends. So we're, we're here today. Well, you did, you did a Fame Lab. You're at the Fame Lab finals here not so long ago. So that's one reason we're meeting here. But really, uh, I want to know more about your, your PhD project uh, and first of all yourself. So, uh, you know, how did you end up here in Ireland doing a PhD uh, on this particular subject? Yeah, so I would say my road, it wasn't, uh, wasn't obvious at all. If you would ask me 10 years ago, oh, Louisa, you will be in 10 years doing your PhD in Ireland. I would be like, first of all, me, PhD. <laughs> Second of all, I didn't know even that I will be in Ireland, but that's, that's amazing how the life can, uh, can, can have the answers you wouldn't expect. So I did my bachelor in Poland. Later, I moved to to Netherlands, where I did one year exchange in food safety. And this is where it really started my love for microbiology and food safety. So I did one year exchange there. And later, I decided to stay for my master degree as well in in Netherlands. Uh, It was on this university, Wageningen University. And it was amazing place and this is where I fell in love in the research basically because uh, I I didn't have so so much experience with researchers and the research life and I end up in the uh, in the environment where most of my friends actually are doing PhD so it seemed kind of natural follow-up for me to to look for PhD and I found this and you, f- you found a very interesting one. Um, just try and summarize it for the non-scientific person. What, what is it and what, what are you hoping to achieve with it? So I am working on develop... First, I will say it maybe in the <laughs> more difficult words and then just explain it. Uh, I'm working on the development of a biosensor for detection of pathogenic E. coli. And basically, I just want to detect the pathogenic bacteria very quickly because for now the methods of detection that are that are used can take even up to few days but if 
but we want to decrease this time uh, to as short as possible. Tell us, what, why is E. coli, what is it and why is it something that we should be concerned about, the general public I mean? So most of E. coli are actually are not harmful at all. Um, this is the bacteria that can be commonly found in the also human intestine but there is this particular strain that can produce the toxin that is dangerous for humans and the the main source of infection for us is the beef meat because I would, I would say other animals it can be also found in other animals but particularly for us as we uh, like to eat the beef burgers that often like are not uh, completely cooked or also there are some uh, some dishes that use just raw meat itself this this is the time when it can be a problem if the bacteria is there because with heat we could completely inactivate it but if the meat is undercooked then the bacteria if it's there it will not be killed. Now, tell me about the sensor. It's an interesting one because you have Tyndall Research Institute in Cork, which you're involved as well. So uh, tell me what you're trying to do with this sensor. How's it going to work? So the idea is that because the, um, uh, the, the bacteria can be found in the intestines of, of, the, of the cows. So basically we want to know if the cows are uh, contaminated before they go to slaughter, uh, because it's it's very it's very difficult to to test all the cows as it can be hundreds in the farm. But if we have something as simple as I was saying, another example of a biosensor can be the glucose test. Uh, so if we have something that we can just take the sample of the feces and have the answer immediately or after even few hours that would give us a lot of information that if we have a problem on the farm or not and then we can deal with that very quickly. And this would be something that uh, perhaps the farmer himself or herself could use not it wouldn't have to be an expert? Yeah that's that's the idea that anyone anyone could do the test. Uh, and just briefly, I know it's complicated enough science, but uh, what are you trying to pick up with the sensor? How, how does it, uh, you know, what is it picking up essentially? Uh, so the, the particular sensor that I am working with will be based on the DNA. So we want to find, uh, detect the, the piece of DNA which from the gene that is responsible for the toxin production. Wonderful. So, you know, this is you're about halfway through. Uh -huh. So at the end of this, in a few years' time, hopefully there'll be a test. I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. That in two, yeah, in two years' time, that at least I will be able to start working with the real samples. And in two years, the cricketers might be still playing here. This goes on forever, <laughs> what we're watching, I believe. Uh, but also, congratulations on your, your science communication efforts. I know that's something you're interested in. Uh, you reached the Fame Lab final, which was in the gallery, just very close to where we're sitting. Uh, is, that, is science communication something that you'd like to continue with in the future? I definitely would like to make it at least a part of my work. Because I think what we are missing as scientists is that uh, 
many people to focus just on doing the research but if we don't if we don't communicate enough don't don't show it to the public uh, then more of this scares so we have to learn how to with simple messages send the message that is correct well well said I can't agree more as somebody who interviews scientists a lot and it's really <laughs> important to, to get that out there wish you uh, lots of luck with the biosensor and with the science communication efforts in the future uh, you've been listening to Louisa Vachevska and uh, she's doing a PhD between Chagas and the Tyndall Institute working on that very interesting biosensor thank you Louisa thank you very much a few research events I'd like to highlight now. The European Conference on Precision Livestock Farming takes place at Moore Park and UCC between the 26th and the 29th of August. Scientists and industry participants from several sectors, including pharma, nutrition, technology and ICT are expected to attend. To find out more, contact Bernadette O'Brien, email bernadette.obrien at chagos.ie. I'd also like to mention Catchman Science 2019, which takes place from the 5th to the 7th of November in Wexford. This is an international conference focused on achieving water quality and diverse agricultural landscapes under climate change. The themes up for discussion include soil analysis, nutrient management, modeling of water quality, and impact of multiple stressors on aquatic ecology. To find out more, contact Per Eric Melander, email P-E-R-E-R-I-K dot M-E-L-L-A-N-D-E-R at Chagos.ie. Now the One Health concept which seeks to unite all researchers working across animal and human health is still a relatively new concept in Ireland. I visited Geraldine Duffy, Head of Food Safety at her office in Ashtown recently where she told me how the One Health strategy has benefited animal health as well as food safety. Now tell me about the concept of One Health. What exactly is it? Well, One Health is a concept that was introduced some years ago by the WHO, but it's very much recognising that animals, the environment, food chain and human health is all very much interconnected. So the grand challenges really have to be addressed by all of the stakeholders and all the scientists working across all those sectors. And what has been happening up to now, say, for many years? Often people working in the various sectors, for example, the, the vets, the food scientists, environmental scientists, humans have all been operating a little bit independently. But really over the last, I suppose, very much the last five years, there's very much a recognition that the One Health approach really is the way to go forward to be able to address problems um, in, uh, in an integrated way. So I'm, I'm trying to think of a general problem, maybe something like anti, uh, antibiotic resistance, something like that. That would cover a wide area, wouldn't it? A absolutely. Um, what's called zoonotic diseases and antimicrobial resistance are all... Uh, issues that are potentially transmitted from animals to humans through the environment. So it's absolutely essential in tackling these things that um, all of the, the sectors in that are working together. Because animal health clearly has an impact on human health. Ab absolutely. The uh, animal gut carries a whole range of microorganisms, some of them which may cause disease in humans. The main transmission route is likely to be the animal feces or animal waste gets into the environment and humans can either pick it up directly or indirectly through the water or the food chain. Right, maybe tell me about the conference that was held here, out in Ashtown I should say, uh, the conference that you had here last week and, and how it went. Yeah, um, from May 22nd to 24th we had a very big One Health uh, European
European Joint Programme Conference here um, at Ashtown. Um, it's part of a, a big European Horizon 2020 uh, project that's co-funded with various member states. A very large undertaking. There's um, 38 partners in it from 19 different member states. And um, the main objective is that really is to use a One Health approach to address both zoonotic diseases, antimicrobial resistance and emergent threats. And what kind of people did you have here uh, and maybe some of the more interesting talks you might speak of those too? Yeah, well, we had a whole, we had over 300 delegates here and they were coming from uh, the veterinary side, the food side, uh, um, the medical side, and a lot of them were coming from their member state reference laboratories, which are the national laboratories with uh, a mandate for testing for zoonotic disease and antimicrobial resistance. So it was great to have all of these people really from the various member states and the various sectors all meeting together, together with some of the key stakeholders like the European Food Safety Authority and the European um, Centre for Disease Surveillance were here as well. Right, so maybe tell me, uh, we might go, there's about three different headings, I suppose, main headings, yeah. say the zoonotic diseases, maybe summarise what that's about and what, what, what kind of research is being done. Yeah, well, I suppose some of the key um, zoonotic diseases, which are um, pathogens that are carried in the animal gut that um, humans can be infected with, will be things like salmonella, like pathogenic E. coli, Campylobacter, etc. So we had many talks on those. And I suppose one of the key challenges really is to uh, join up what's happening in terms of carrying within the animal gut, how they're transmitted through the food chain and what's causing illness in humans. And very much recognised and was drawn out at the talks last week that we need to move forward in terms of harmonisation, in terms of the methods that we're using to detect the pathogen across the chain, how we're comparing the data, things like the opportunities now for whole genome sequencing to compare isolates and to actually look at the patterns of transmission and what are the key routes and where the stakeholders can best put their risk management. Right, that's a, it's a big area to cover Absolutely. there. So what, 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 what are some of the other headings then? Um, there was a big also focus on antimicrobial resistance, which is obviously a, a really a big grand challenge in terms of, of human health, but also it's a big issue for uh, animal health. And it's very much recognised that there is overuse of antibiotics and probably imprudent use of antibiotics in that often they're administered in the absence of any evidence of what's actually causing the infection. So antibiotics are only effective against bacteria, but quite often the infection maybe could be viral related. So one of the big challenges really is to come up with better diagnostics so you can actually have targeted treatment of infections. So we want to reduce the levels we're using is one issue, I guess. Uh, Absolutely, and using them in a targeted way so they actually know what's causing an infection or using with the right antibiotic. Also, following the course of antibiotics through, whether it's for animal health or for human health, so that you reduce the likelihood of building up of resistance. And of course, this is an issue then for human health because we're consuming animals that if they've high antibiotic resistance, I don't know, does it get passed yeah. on? Or? Yeah, there's still, that's actually a big gap. And one of the big things that we want to look at in this One Health project is what is actually the role of antibiotics used in the animals in terms of human resistance or uh, antibiotics. Yeah. yeah, and we do, I know, uh, I spoke recently to Fanola Leonard in UCD. I mean, there are people who are very high up in this area, obviously, yep. the international names here yes. in Ireland. 
Uh, absolutely, there's a lot of work going on in that um, area here in Ireland, and uh, as I said, very important though that we link within with EU member states and with other global colleagues because it is a, it's, it's a grand challenge to be tackled. It's a global issue. Yes. Yeah. Uh, okay, that's another heading. So, was there a third one as well? A third. Uh, emerging threats is some, something that we always need to be aware of. Um, you don't want to be dealing with a, a crisis and an outbreak. So, ideally, within the One Health approach, you're looking at the trends of what's starting to occur, maybe in the environment or. In the animal food chain and to recognise where there is maybe spikes in illness in terms of uh, human diseases and to be able to tackle that in a timely fashion in terms of detection methodologies and control strategies. You might give us an example of that. How How's the animal and human thing linked in terms of emerging threats? Uh, would say say foot and mouth or I don't know, I'm trying to think of something that's happened in the past that's emerged. Is, or is there an obvious link between the two? Well, quite often I suppose maybe you may have emergence of new strains of bacteria or, you know, even ones that are developing more antibiotic resistance and um, which may be then harder to treat in terms of human illness or you, you may have different viruses or something like that that haven't been seen that suddenly start to appear within uh, human illness. And of course in the past then you'd have the people working on their own on the animal side, the people working on, on the human side and there was very little connection. Yeah and I think we're getting recognising now that the need for people to work together in an integrated way and it's happening more now in Ireland and also within the EU and globally. And just finally then were you happy with how it went? Was it big undertaking it was a big undertaking we had more than 300 people here at, at ashtown so we really were pushing and pushing to the capacity but um it, it went off very very well and as a great start really in terms of the whole one health initiative for this project that's all we've time for for this episode folks i hope you enjoyed this our first episode of the research field we'd be very happy to get feedback suggestions or comments and if you'd like to reach us email me sean duke presenter the research field at seancduke at gmail.com you can subscribe to the podcast via itunes on the soundcloud platform spotify google podcasts and on android finally i'd like to say thank you to chagosk for supporting this new podcast most particularly i'd like to thank katrina boyle science communication and outreach officer at chagosk for her support Katrina will be taking an active role in the podcast as an editorial consultant, associate producer and contributor. Until next time, so it's goodbye for now from all of us here at The Research Field.